Hi, welcome to Off the Charts Podcast. I'm Andy Smith, your host. I'm here with Emily Weber-Wood, our producer. Hi. Today we talked about um, with a doctor. He's a family doctor uh, outside of Philadelphia. His name is Neil Skolnick. Just He had an interesting story. He uh, recently wrote uh, an essay for the journal Circulation, sort of about his experience um, in his own life, you know, uh, walking through an airport, realizing he was about to go lecture people on diabetes, and he was sweating and out of breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was, you know, out of shape himself. It's just interesting to hear how it changed the way he interacts with patients, uh, the way he views, you know, how to successfully reach a patient, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on things like diet and exercise, which we hear all the time, diet and exercise, diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was an interesting uh, interview. Yeah, I'm amazed at how simple it is. Like we know, we know how to change people's behavior. We know that it's not enough to tell them once a year in five minutes you need to exercise and, and eat better, and it's so simple and so difficult at the same time. Um, but it sounds like he's had a lot of success with it. That's what I think. I think whatever he's doing is is causing people. You know, I think he talked about the the traditional model is you lecture the patient. You know, you really need some uh, to change your diet and get some exercise. I'll see you in a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it sounds like he's, you know, definitely spending a little more time, not a lot more time, but then he's working with these patients to to get them there. Mm-hmm. And actually listen to why they might be struggling in the first place. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's like listening to a 30 minutes of a motivational speaker. Yep. So You're going to want to put on your running <laughs> shoes and uh, go for a jog after Yeah, and get that blood pressure down. <laughs> so uh, enjoy this podcast. It's Neil Skolnick, uh, family practitioner. Skolnick, uh, you're a family medicine yeah, that's, physician. That's right. Uh, outside of Philadelphia. So the reason we're sitting down with you today, we saw a uh, article in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it was based on a uh, paper, I guess you had written, or an essay for the journal Circulation, in which you talked about your experience dealing with patients and your own health and how that affects how you talk to patients. What I'd love to have you start with is the story that sort of inspired this. We can sort of pick it up. You were going through an airport. Sure. Well, you know, we, we are who we are. And uh, about 10 years ago, I was walking uh, uh, past, from, you know, from security to the gate at the Philadelphia airport, going to give a talk on, in fact, diabetes uh, in <laughs> That's Chicago. what I find most ironic. And uh, while walking, got uh, noticed that when I got to the gate, I was sweaty, uh, somewhat short of breath. And uh, for those of you who are medical people, one of the things you think about, but it was not our heart issues. It was simply that I was uh, miserably out of shape. <laughs> and uh, How old I, were you at the time? Ten years ago. I was in my late 40s. 40, okay. So, uh, you know, I got to Chicago and I was just exhausted. And usually I go over my lecture material the night before. I just went to sleep and, and woke up in the morning and you know, got dressed and put on my suit and jacket and tie and looked in the mirror and 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 I really looked terrible <laughs> and uh, and I did what I I think you know guys at least do when they look in the mirror and and look terrible and I thought boy you know I. I, I, let me readjust my suit, and maybe I did because that'll make wrong. it look better. That'll make it look better, and then it, it didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, 
And, and I went ahead and gave my lecture, and, and the lecture went well, but I felt lousy. I felt like, what am I doing talking about diabetes? I'm clearly overweight. I'm miserably out of shape, and I'm getting up in front of 500 people talking about prevention of diabetes, and, 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 and that's somewhat hypocritical. Mm -hmm. And uh, on, on the ride home, I realized that uh, really need to do something about that. And so when I got home, talked to my wife, and uh, she was very supportive and got went out that week, got an elliptical, put it in the basement. You know, you want to make your – if you're going to begin on an exercise program, you want to make it easy to do. So for me, finding the time to go to a gym, which I don't particularly like anyway, mm -hmm. uh, going to a gym, getting in, coming home, like it wasn't going to happen. So make it easy. Put an elliptical in the basement, wake up in the morning, do my 30 minutes or so – shower, go off to work, it's easy, done. So I was really enthused and you know, got on that elliptical the first day and I lasted about seven minutes. <laughs> you thought you were going to go for 30, I, I think, No right? question. That's <laughs> what you're supposed to do. And we all think of ourselves when, when we think about uh, embarking on an exercise regimen uh, as being who we were 20 or 30 years ago. I bet. So, you know, ready, get going. And, and lasted about seven minutes, and, and, and that was a little bit disappointing. But um, the, the, the secret, and I think the secret for uh, our listeners today, is that uh, you can expect that, and don't be discouraged by that. And so got back on the elliptical the next day and kept going and, and uh, increased my, my duration as well as speed over time. And, and so, you know, now have a good exercise regimen, you know, elliptical five times a week, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and, uh, and, and you develop a habit. Mm -hmm. And then you sustain. Habits, right, are very easy to sustain. Uh, think about any habit you have, good or bad. And once it becomes a habit, it's easy. It's hard to make it into Sort of habit. what you do at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and so, you know, the lesson here for me was twofold. One, uh, as a person, uh, the importance of committing to exercise, because we all know the data on, you know, you'll be heart healthy if you exercise, but we're, we're actually not as familiar with, and we often don't talk about as much, how good you'll just feel every day, how that normal middle-aged fatigue that most of us get at some point between 30 and 50 years of age mm -hmm. actually evaporates when you're exercising regularly and you feel better uh, every day, uh, more energetic, more on target. Um, so when and, you, yeah. before you got on this exercise kick, when you sat with patients, I mean, you're a family practitioner, so you see all different kinds of patients. Did you, I'll use the word lecture, I'm not sure that's the right word, but would you commonly talk to them about, you know, you need to uh, exercise and eat right, Mrs. Jones? Uh, of, of course. And, and you know this from seeing your own physicians that one of the uh, spiels that we give is uh, you need to diet and exercise. And then we say something like, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and then we walk out of the room. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll see you next year. Um, and and, and, and uh, for me, the really um, deep lesson is uh, the ability to, to now recognize how difficult of a task that is. As I said, I, because I started Because you actually went minutes. through it. I went yeah. through it. This is very hard to do. And if we're going to accomplish 
that as a goal, we need to do better by our patients. We need to give them more support than, uh, than just here. This is a good idea. As you said, use the word lecture. Lecturing never works well for <laughs> behavioral change. Yeah. If I tell you right now what you should do, what I are you going to say? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're not going to tell me what to do. Um, so that, so, so you know, what well, it is, is, it, is well, is it even harder when the person is? Because I've had physicians where I look across and I kind of say, "Well, what are you telling me to exercise for? I don't." You look about fifty pounds overweight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's the issue, honestly, because yeah. I think the truth is that we can try hard as we want, and some of us will be able to lose weight. Some of us will be able to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we can always control the 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 outcome if we measure that outcome in uh, weight loss or whether we can run a marathon. The challenges are different for each of us. But I think what made the difference, I said there were two things. One was for me as a person, the other one was for me as a physician. From the physician end, the thing that I became aware of was that people were listening much more carefully. And I think it had nothing to do with the fact that I was trimmer than I was, Mm -hmm. but it had more to do with the fact that they knew, they could sense how seriously I took this. Because I didn't say, ah, you know, you need that and exercise. I was like, okay, let's think about this. Um, Here are the benefits of exercise. The benefits are that that we know we can decrease your cardiovascular risk, your risk of having a heart attack or stroke by about 50 to 80%. We know that we can decrease your risk of many uh, life-threatening cancers, colon cancer, breast cancer being two of them again, by about 40%, less well appreciated. We decrease the risk of depression. We can make you feel better. We enormously decrease the risk of diabetes and do so better with diet and exercise than we can with the strongest medicines that we have out there. So you tell me, is it worth the effort? Because if it's not worth the effort, I don't want to try to convince (laughs) you. I don't want to try to tell you what to do. Now what do you say? So this really changed the way you interacted with patients. Absolutely. So that if if I really believed what I'm saying, yes, I'm yes. going to communicate that differently. And well, there's I'm a big difference even in what you just said and what you said five minutes ago. You, you know, you, you got to exercise. You got to do this. Yeah. See you next year. Yeah, you are very astute. <laughs> um, so 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 that that that's right. There is a big difference in approach. And then the the difference is uh, shutting up and listening. So tell me what you want to do. And, you know, everyone puts that through a different prism of who they are, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people it is too much effort. But most people, when they reflect on it themselves, realize this might be worth the effort, but then not ending there. Because if you then say good luck, you know, people are left. When I say exercise, I know what I mean. I'm not sure that everyone else knows what I mean. There are people who never exercised in their life, who didn't play uh, sports when they were in high school or college, who, you know, for them, let's, let, let's get more concrete now. Okay, if you decide that's what you want to do, let's figure out how. There's the why, right? Why always drives the what. Mm-hmm. So why we want to do something. But if we leave it at the why and don't address the what we're going to do, we're confused. We don't know how to accomplish our goals. Now let's talk about how we're going to carry that out. There are two different pieces. There is diet and there's exercise. Exercise, what time of day works for you? I'm an early morning person. For me, waking up at 5.30, 6 o'clock, 
isn't a big deal. Yeah. For someone else, that could be the most miserable experience <laughs> of their life. Um, in which case, that's not when they should be exercising. They can do it maybe run out during lunch. A couple of my colleagues do that here at Abington Family Medicine. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's at the end of the day. But if you have kids at the end of the day who are looking forward to your coming home, maybe end of day isn't the time that works for you. So the what, you know, what time of day, what form of exercise. There are people who like to swim. There are people who don't have, have availability of a pool. There are people who like to bike ride. All you need is a pair of running shoes. You can walk or run. It's different for each of us. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the when are you going to do it, what are you going to do as your preferred form of exercise, and uh, uh, let, how are we going to make it easy? So we got when, we got what, how are you going to make sure you actually do it? There's all sorts of behavioral hints that we can share, right? So that we are all, when are we our best self? When am I my best self? Yeah, <laughs> when are you your best self? In the morning when I'm exercising. I'm going to contend that you're your best <laughs> self when you tell me what you're going to go, how, what you're going to do in the future. Okay. We are always our best self, not in the immediate now. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Start in tomorrow. I am a great person every tomorrow. And, and so let's figure out how we can fulfill our uh, goals for ourselves. What are the behavioral things? So. For instance, if I know I want to uh, run first thing in the morning, and I just started this then, I do this now, I put my sneakers out. They are the first thing I see in the morning next to my bed. I put my sneakers out, my socks on top of them. Mm -hmm. When I wake up, I'm reminded of that commitment I made to myself the day before. And if I don't go downstairs and get on that elliptical, I need to face the fact that I've lied to myself, hmm. that I've let myself down. That's hard to swallow. I'd rather just put my shoes on and run. Um, so, uh, so, so things like that. You know, you go run for you know a half hour, an hour on your elliptical. That gets pretty dull, uh, unless you're someone who doesn't like thinking. Um, you know, so so what can I do to to make that time be something enjoyable? So you know, listen to some music that you wouldn't otherwise. I never look at music videos because I don't have the time to shoot. Now I look at music videos and mm -hmm. they, you know what? They are great. Everyone <laughs> is right about them. Um, what are you missing in your watch whole life? Exactly. <laughs> it's like this whole epiphany. This whole world is out there. Um, so that, you know, or, you know, watching a movie on the TV that now I got in front of the, the elliptical. Again, something that I, I'll watch TV, so, you know, sometimes or movies sometimes, but not as regularly as I'm now able to because I got something to look forward to. And if I only watch half of the movie that day, I can't wait till I get on the elliptical <laughs> to watch. I'm not going to let myself watch it late at night while eating chips. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll watch it the next day. So, so we can then talk uh, um, about what the details are about how to achieve those behavioral goals. In our office here uh, at Abington Family Medicine, we have a dietitian uh, who I can refer my patient to and say, you know, talk to her. She can go over for an hour with you the details of dietary choices uh, because, you know, there, there are a lot of different approaches to diet that, you know, on the one end is, you know, 
whatever you happen to encounter is what you might choose to eat today. <laughs> On the other hand is a really thoughtful approach that ranges from a DASH diet as the name of one or a low-carb diet or a Mediterranean diet, and that has to be individualized both to what is most healthy for you, but also of equally important, equal importance what are you going to like? What is, What are you going to stick with? It doesn't matter if the DASH diet is considered the best, if it just looks horrible. That's what I'm always surprised about with people in diets. They will go on the, the most horrible diet because they think that's what's going to work, but they hate the diet. Y you so yeah. Don't we all know that's going to fail? <laughs> well, you, you want something that works for you. You want something that's healthy. And that also seems doable for mm -hmm. you. And that, that may change over time. But that's why the details are so important with this sort of thing. And so what happened over time is two things. One, it was pretty clear that in my taking this issue more seriously, my patients began to also take this issue more seriously. Did anyone comment along the way and say, Gosh, you seem more passionate about this than you did, or was it a sort of a subtle difference of how you switched to uh, I, I, talking to them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was subtle. Yeah. I, I think it was subtle. And 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 the other thing is follow up because you know usually behavioral change doesn't work when you think about it once and now your life has changed forever. <laughs> but rather, you know, I'll see you back in six weeks for a few visits, and mm -hmm. then every three months for a while. Uh, be, because you need that reminder. It's an iterative process where you make a change, and now you see how you're doing. You see what you need to do next. Um, and so uh, it, it, by both understanding the struggle, and I, and I do think it, it generalizes to some degree. When we reflect, and it doesn't matter whether uh, that we as us as, a, as physicians or any of us in, in whatever we do, when we reflect on the struggles that we've gone through and are honest about their difficulty and the challenges that they entail, we're then better able to relate, right, to the struggles that someone else that we encounter goes through and how difficult a time they're having. Mm -hmm. And I I'm think, curious. yeah, and I think something transpires there. Yeah, I'm curious. Is that how, when you were a younger doctor? Is, is that how you viewed it? Is that the way you were taught in medical school? Or was it sort of a revelation that, you know, if I open up to them a little more, it, it makes a difference? Well, it's I'm not a matter of opening up. It's a matter okay. of listening. Okay. It's a matter of understanding and appreciating. Mm. Uh, was I taught that way? I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, I might have been. Uh, right, right. Because there's a big gap between what we're taught and what we learn. Yes. And so I can only tell you what I learned, which as, as a, you know, a, a young person filled with enthusiasm and a reasonable amount probably of obtuseness, <laughs> I didn't necessarily <laughs> learn everything I should have. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to imagine that, that some people were trying to teach this lesson. Uh, and then life teaches you lessons, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and you grow from them. You know, hopefully what we all do, one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the right keys to success isn't uh, not making mistakes, not, not doing things, ever doing something wrong. Of course we all do. Mm -hmm. but, but the key is growing from that experience, reflecting on it, and realizing how we, when we're talking about, you know, as people, can be better people 
from uh, our experiences and how we as professionals can better fulfill our mission of service to others by reflecting uh, on the opportunities that we've had in our own life. Uh, and, and, and how does that help me to understand and relate to my patients? Of course, right, then as we listen carefully to our patients, and again, it's not just doctors, it's all of us. We're yeah, listening yeah. to people. Um, when we listen carefully, we also benefit from learning from other people's experience. Now, I've been in healthcare a long time, and I'm sitting here listening to you talking about how you deal with your patients. Um, there isn't a whole lot of reimbursement in that. How do you have these conversations? Um, uh, it seems that healthcare is much more, thank you very much. I've been with you eight minutes. I've got to move on to the next patient. I went back to the question I originally was talking yeah. about is, how has it changed your practice? I mean, do you spend more time with people? Is it a different interaction? I think it's a different interaction. I, I It may be more time, a little bit, but it doesn't take tons more time. Not that much. It's you know, it, it doesn't take a lot more time to listen than talk, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I realize that right now, you know, I'm, I'm mostly talking. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely contradicting everything I'm saying. But that's because the charge that you have given me mm -hmm. as the one speaking on the podcast is, is the talk. The it, would be, it would be very <laughs> odd uh, were I to keep reflecting these questions back to you. But, but, um, but if you think about it, it really doesn't take a lot more time to, to listen than it does to talk. And, and so that if we ask the right questions and let someone fill in the answers, right? Because half of finding the right answer is asking the right question. Mm -hmm. but, but it might take a lot of experience and uh, thought to know what questions to ask. I mean, look at you, how good you are at this. You've said next to nothing. <laughs> I haven't said anything. Talking. <laughs> um, so, so I'm doing something right. <laughs> right. And, and so it takes a lot of experience and, and, and a lot of knowledge to know what questions to ask and let someone else fill in um, the, the answers. I'm curious, do you, you obviously very enthusiastic about this. Um, do you enjoy your job more since this sort of rev, I don't know what to call this thing 10 years ago, your, I, your revelation, uh, your, the, 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 um, the epiphany. Well, yeah, the, uh, that's, <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah, we can start calling it that. It's, I think it was Timba on Lion King who it, said it's uh, either an epiphany or that slug I ate. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you but, find yourself enjoying practicing medicine more um, than you used to? I, I, I've always You've enjoyed always, yeah. practicing, so that's hard to say. But what I do enjoy is the effect that this has had on people's life, which I think is a more profound and broader effect than uh, giving someone a medicine. I, I have to think so. Yeah. And, and, and the thank yous that I get back from patients are, 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 are more meaningful because it hasn't just – you know, you, if you give someone a medicine for their blood pressure, uh, you decrease their blood pressure and by so doing decrease their risk of having some very serious things, stroke and heart attack. But for the most part, they don't feel better uh, after having gotten the medicine than they did before, right? Mm -hmm. You've prevented something in the distant future. Uh, on the other hand, when someone does actually carry out diet and exercise, pretty remarkable things happen that lead them to say thank you. And, and those things are not only have they decreased their risk, and the best data out there says you decrease your risk of uh, you know, heart attack and stroke with uh, exercise 
as much or more than you do with hydrochlorothiazide, mm -hmm. uh, one of the blood pressure medicines we use. Not only do you decrease your risk, though, of heart attack and stroke, but you also decrease your risk of cancer. But again, that's a, something that you don't feel now. You know it's healthy, but you feel better. Uh, you look around and you notice your your peer group getting uh, out of shape and, <laughs> worse and, and worse looking, worse yeah. and worse, and you're now like noticing, hey, you know what? Ain't that bad, right? I'm well, doing you know okay. what my goal is what, when I exercise? I want to be able to take my shirt off at the beach. <laughs> it's as simple um, as that, that. That Andy is scary, <laughs> um, but uh, you know that's a that's your call. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, for our view, viewing audience, our listening audience, yeah. it, it's, uh, it's, Andy does not look that bad. It just seemed like a good throwaway line. Uh. Um, but but, uh, but uh, no, you know, we all have different goals. And, and if that's your goal, then that's great. Or if your goal is just feeling better day to day. But, but most people who do diet and who exercise actually feel more energetic. They feel feel better, they're able to do things that they weren't before, take that walk in the woods with their kids or grandchildren. And, you know, it's seldom is it too late. So, you know, sometimes we think, wow, you're 60, you know, <laughs> horses out of the barn too no, late I've now. Heard this time and after time. It's never, uh, it's, right? that's right. It's, you know, the effects of uh, a diet and exercise program are, if anything, greater comparatively in people who are around 60 than they are for people who are 30 or 40. Um, and so it's pretty remarkable. I mean, there, there probably is a point at which, you know, maybe it gets a little bit tougher to change your habits. Yeah. But certainly well through middle age, well through someone's 60s or 70s, uh, you know, being active, maintaining a healthy lifestyle that incorporates regular physical activity and diet really has, has wonderful positive effects that, that you feel not the next day. The next day you start, you often don't feel as good. But, but within six weeks, you notice a difference. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear a story or two. I think in the circulation uh, essay, yeah. you talked about the, uh, uh, you call him Ted. Yeah. Not his yeah. real name. But I'd, I'd love to hear a story or two of people yeah. who you've talked no, there, to. There are, there are plenty of stories. I mean, the one, one that I talked about in that essay, uh, Ted is someone who, same age as I am, and, and, and it was notable because I had my old approach. I had seen him before, you know, I realized what I had to do. And, you know, he kept gaining weight and his uh, triglycerides in that case kept going up to a, quite a, a concerning level. Mm -hmm. And then um, I had this awakening and I happened to see him back and he had gained more weight and his triglycerides were even higher. And we had this, you know, really heart to heart discussion that, you know, what we can do is at this point we can either start some medicine to bring your triglycerides down, or you really are going to have to pay careful attention to diet and exercise. He chose to do the diet and exercise, and it was just remarkable. And I saw him every six weeks for a while, then every three months. And he dropped his triglycerides from like the 500s down to the 150s, 150 being normal, 500 being like, you know, not good. <laughs> um, and 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 he was he felt better. He was doing you know more stuff, more active with his kids. He actually uh, was running regularly. I believe he actually ran a half marathon. Wow! And it was it was pretty remarkable. Um, there are other people who, and I could give you other remarkable stories, but I'll give you one story that, that's actually more ordinary, but I think equally important. And, and I have a number of patients like this, someone who really has sincerely worked hard, uh, and he hasn't lost any weight. Um, but he hasn't gained any weight. Hmm. And he uh, had 
prediabetes, uh, that's that mid-range sugar between normal and diabetes. Um, and the normal trajectory over time, if you have prediabetes, is you move forward and eventually develop diabetes. Your A1C, which is what we use to measure long-term control of blood sugar, kind of creeps up a little bit over time and eventually crosses the threshold where you have diabetes. So this very ordinary story is he's worked hard. He hasn't gained, lost weight, but he hasn't mm -hmm. gained weight yeah. over five years. Uh, his numbers have remained pretty static. They actually, his, his A1C is down a little bit, but, but, but importantly, it's not gone up. So yeah, for that, him, that's a victory. So I mean, that, that is a victory. Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and because he exercises, he, you know, he tells me he feels more energetic. He feels better than he used to. But, and this is where I mean we want to set the proper um, metrics is the current popular term yeah. for measuring things. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the popular measurement for success and that success shouldn't be measured by your weight because we know that some people weight is a very difficult issue and that may or may, or may not be affected. But if we set as our measurement, did you do these things, the behavioral outcomes? Are you exercising? Uh, the recommendations for the American Heart Association are 30 minutes, five times a week, total of 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week. Are you following a healthy diet, a low-salt diet, um, uh, or perhaps a Mediterranean diet? Uh, are you, have you made these behavioral changes? Then that is the measurement that says it's successful. And sometimes, as the patient I just shared with you, uh, we don't see you know, mind-boggling effects, but what we see is ordinary improvement. And, and, and letting someone not then succumb to what otherwise would have been the case, which is gradual weight gain, increase in blood sugar, and blood pressure, mm -hmm. and development of downstream diseases. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Absolutely. So how do you move this? Have you thought uh, broader than your own practice? How do, how do we move? You know, Emily and I were talking about this on the way here. It's not like there's a shortage of information out there. Everybody knows what you have to do. How do you move it out of your practice, what you're talking about, and the successes you've had and the enthusiasm you've had? Sure. How do you move that to the, the larger medical community? Well, um, I, I, I think that um, I find that a difficult question because who is it for me, uh, you know, for me to think how to change the whole community? I'm this <laughs> well, little family doctor down in Jenkintown, <laughs> PA. So that, you know, how, what's my place in this enormous um, uh, ship. My place is perhaps educating uh, some others, writing an article. Like I was going to say, did you thought enough of it that yeah. you wrote the article. I, I do want to share the information with us. I've lectured nationally on uh, on exercise and lifestyle change. I'm going to be lecturing this spring at the uh, American Diabetes Association's uh, scientific sessions in their primary care meeting uh, about. Uh, addressing pre-diabetes and the importance of lifestyle uh, modification there. So I think that you know we can all be par parts of a larger change that is happening where we've, because of the um, rigor of the data showing the benefits of lifestyle modification, there has been a slow, steady shift toward emphasizing lifestyle modification. In fact, the new hypertension guidelines that just came out last week uh, really talk about the importance of lifestyle modification, the fact that by following a proper diet, you can decrease your blood pressure by 10 points, by exercise by about four points, by weight loss another five points. You just We just added up about 
20 millimeters yeah. of mercury of, of blood pressure yeah. that, that really can be effectively done, and that's emphasized in the new guidelines. So I do think we're seeing this shift in recognition to the fact that if we are to, in a meaningful way, address what really have become the largest threats to our health, there was a time when the largest threats were infectious diseases. Mm. Now the largest threats to our health are uh, diseases that accrue because of behavioral decisions, diabetes, cancers, heart disease, stroke. There is an increased recognition if we are to most effectively address these issues, the most effective way to address it will be primary prevention, will be adapt adapting healthy lifestyle approach before you get the, the consequences of those unhealthy lifestyles. And as far as what we can do about it, we can all be part of that education mm -hmm. thing. And I want to thank you <laughs> for being a part of that. I'm sitting here. I'm glad I, to hear you've actually uh, been places and talked to conferences because I'm thinking on the way home, I'm going to talk to Emily about he needs to take this on the road. <laughs> what reaction do you get from even the colleagues here in the office? People love it. I, I work with people who have the same thoughts that I do That's good. Uh, with, in this regard. We argue about everything else. <laughs> but it, with regard to this, absolutely same, same uh, you know, it, it, because it's so clear, right? And, and we all talk about this and I, 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 I think uh, have, have similar beliefs. Do you share your story, like the walking through the uh, – how much do you share about I, I, your sort I, of journey? I usually don't. Okay. Um, I, I, I think that we, we all have different stories, and, and I think there I'm more interested in what someone else's story is than mine. I think that it's a great way to educate other physicians. It's a great way to talk about how to make connections and the things we learn. I'm not sure it's as important in a patient exam room for me to take the time talking about my story instead of listening to your story. Mm -hmm. Well, your story has inspired me, so I think well, I'm going to go home and go that, for a run. <laughs> thank you very much that I feel I've done something today. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been my pleasure. All thank right. you, Andy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Off the Charts, stories from the people who make medicine work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or rate or review us in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to get in touch, our email is hello at offthechartspodcast.com.